1: Today we're going to talk about how to entertain and engage more in business with Jeremy Nicholas. And I'm sorry for anybody who's listening um, live um, for the slight uh, delay in the start today. We had a few little technical challenges. Um, I'd firstly like to uh, thank my guest last week, Jonathan Wygant, the CEO and founder of BigSpeed, one of the largest speaker bureaus in the U.S., who talked with me about dealing with change and also shared some really great treats about how to be booked as a speaker. So um, if that's uh, something of interest to you, do check out that show um, from the archive. And next week, we have Lenora Billings-Harris, one of the world's top diversity experts on the diversity of Advantage. And the following week, a a pre-recorded show that I did last week with Patricia Fripp on sales presentations, both former presidents of the National Speakers Association in the United States. So to today's show... Now, I'm delighted to have yet another fabulous guest and I have to admit to being when I first met him slightly in awe, uh, particularly when he told me at the time that he was amongst other things the stadium announcer for West Ham United Football Club um, which he doesn't do now, but to me at the time, I'd been a West Ham fan for a number of years and one of my favourite teams. And I used to visit them with a good mate of mine in London. So the first thing I did is I bought a couple of copies of his book off him. Uh, Mr. Moon left the stadium, which is about his experiences at West Ham, and I sent one to my friend who came back and said, gosh, this is brilliant. Business can at times be a serious matter and sometimes probably too serious, but it certainly shouldn't be dull. And to be successful and to inspire others, it's so valuable, I think, if you can stand out from the crowd and engage really well. And sometimes this means rediscovering your inner spark. Jeremy Nicholas is an award-winning TV and radio presenter who's been broadcasting since 1986. He now works as a professional speaker, a compare a facilitator, and he talks about media matters, attracting um, free publicity, putting humor into your business presentations. He's a director of Talking Toolbox, which teaches speaking skills for TV, radio, and live audiences. And he's a well-known voice on the after-dinner circuit. He's also an accomplished host of business events, working for some really illustrious clients, companies like IBM and Carling and EA Sports, um, Samsung. He's spoken at five international conventions of the Professional Speakers Association, twice compared it, and I saw him hosting one of them about uh, two years ago, and he was absolutely fantastic. He's also the co-author of Media Masters with Alan Stevens, a past show guest, uh, which is available on Amazon since May 2009, along with Mr Moon Has Left the Stadium, Confessions of a Match Day Announcer, published by Biteback. So a big welcome to my guest today, Jeremy Nicholas.
2: Thanks, Chris. What a lovely build-up. Hey,
1: You're very welcome. A pleasure to have you on, Jeremy.
2: Yeah, I tell you what, if I was listening, I would keep listening now. I'd think, who is that? That sounds great.
1: <laughs> it's all true,
2: though. Yeah, that is yeah. But I like the sound of it. Yeah, I think uh, I have done some interesting things.
1: <laughs> we have, and, and, and I mean, chatting to you, I, I realised there was quite a lot of things that you've done, which uh, you know, which you've not mentioned today, because you've, you've done things like commentate on FA Cup finals and all sorts of things.
2: Yeah, commentated on a lot of FA Cup finals in the early 90s. Um, I think Manchester United, Crystal Palace was my first one. Spurs, Nottingham Forest when Paul Gascoigne broke his leg. Arsenal, Sheffield Wednesday, which seemed to go on for most of the summer because there were three of them. Um, but yeah, lot, lots of that. Paralympics, I was, the, I was the main athletics commentator for the global feed uh, from London 2012 for the Paralympics. So people listening across the world might say, oh, that's where I recognize his voice from. Or they might Sorry. recognize it if any of their children have any of the FIFA video games. Um, since FIFA 06, I've been the voice of the FIFA video games, which is the global best-selling uh, video game series. It's FIFA 15 as the latest one, not surprisingly. Uh, and so if you're ever, your kids are ever playing that game and there's a goal scored, it'll be my voice. Wherever you are in the world, it's, it's me announcing the goal.
1: Go. My, my, uh, my! I've got an eight-year-old, and uh, I mentioned to him, because uh, he, he knows I do this, and hmm. said to him, guess who I've got on Friday. I've got the man who's uh, the voice of the FIFA football games." Wow! So uh, yeah. he was very excited about it, Jeremy.
2: One thing I do quite a lot now when I do after dinner and when I do emceeing of events is I say, does anyone have kids that play FIFA? And then at the end, a little queue forms and they get me on, and they have their smartphones and they get me to do a goal scored by <laughs> their kid for their kid's team in the voice of the FIFA game. It's, you know, in the old days, I used to sign autographs. Now, then, then you had selfies, and now it's it's a sort of like an audio selfie.
1: Excellent. Well, my son's uh, Matthew and he supports Leicester
2: City. All right. So I'd, if you came up to me, I'd say... Goal for Leicester, scored by Matthew Cooper. Hooray, thank you, he's going to love that. You yeah. <laughs> sure. sure. can have it as his ringtone. He
1: can, yeah, actually he hasn't got a phone, don't give him that idea. All
2: right, okay, I probably won't <laughs> work then.
1: <laughs> so Jeremy, tell us a bit about your, your background and mm. what childhood was, child was like and you know, how you, you know, became inspired to do uh, be this entertaining communicator that you are.
2: Yeah, I, my childhood was just very happy. I think usually people who are funny have had some dreadful back, background and they've had to fight the way through. Actually, I had a lovely childhood. Um, grew up in East London, well, which is why I'm a West Ham fan. Uh, and then we moved out to Suffolk. My dad was a pharmacist, uh, manager at Boots the Chemist, and my mum was a primary school teacher. Um, So I think that's because of my mum, that's why she made me speak nicely, so I don't sound like a cheeky cockney, (laughs) uh, which is how I probably would sound, or I'd sound a little bit East Anglian, because my family are from Cambridgeshire, and and then I grew up in Suffolk from the age of 12, so I ought to sound a bit more like this, but I don't, and and all my mates from London all sound like that, but because my mum was a teacher, she wouldn't let me drop my H's, so I had this very nice BBC voice, which came (laughs) in very handy when I later joined the BBC. Very,
1: very helpful. And and
2: is it a is it a learned skill,
1: do you think, uh, this, uh, you know, being entertaining or do you think it's something that you're born with?
2: No, I think it's something you can learn. You obviously there are some geniuses, you know, there's actors, musicians, comedians that are just naturally brilliant. But um, I think that regular people in business, uh, if they're a little bit dull, can get a lot better. So when when I run my Talking Toolbox masterclasses, I have a little quote on the end of the poster, and it says, "Even the dullest person will be slightly more interesting after coming to this masterclass." <laughs> um, and 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 all it is really, I mean, there are there are th- rules that you can learn that that will make you more and ent- you know, it's, it's more entertaining, more engaging. It, it's often just putting things in the right order, you know when if if you went to Germany chances are you would learn a bit of German mm. and yet people you know in business do webinars and conference calls and speak on the platform and they just think oh I'll be all right I'm the chief exec I'll wing it and then they wonder why they don't get much response well you know heaven's sake see a coach and, and learn a few rules like like learning German
1: yeah, and uh, those um those moments can be you know so important can't they mm. if, if you're you know got to stand up on a big stage and it, it can make her make a you know make or break. um we're talking chatting with uh, Patricia Fripp last week. she was talking about one of her clients who you know they have one pitch they do basically each year I mean it's worth twenty million dollars for them, and they don't rehearse it
2: or do yeah it. no, no, it's mad well i mean fripp Fripp's a genius i I had the pleasure of uh, working with her last year, and uh, she's fantastic you know she's she's the world leader. Uh, a, a Brit who went over to America as a hairdresser and, and now teaches the world to speak. I really like that story.
1: It's a very cool story, isn't it?
2: Yeah, but that's what it's all about, stories. You know, that that's where most business people go wrong. they 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 talk about facts and facts are okay, but stories are what people remember. You know, that's why you get people like Steve Jobs, who was just so brilliant because he would sum things up in an easy-to-understand way or he'd make it into a little story. You know, when he introduced the iPod, he said, oh, it's about like a pack of cards. And everything you read about the original iPod always had this little quote, it's the size of a pack of cards. You know, and, and just things like that that people can identify with. You'll go home and you'll remember, oh, yeah, can have all, all my record collection in a thing the size of a pack of cards.
1: Yeah, I, I, I was watching on the TV... Uh Something the other day, which, which is about the um, De Viers and uh, engagement mm. diamond engagement rings, and there was a bit of a saying here: you you sort of spend two months' salary on an engagement ring, which was planted by De Viers. and mm. I said all sorts of people over the generations spending fortunes on diamonds because <laughs> it's stuck in their brain.
2: Yeah, that's it. If you're getting engaged, and I haven't been engaged for a while, but you know, probably will be again in the future. I hope my wife's not listening. Um, you know, <laughs> you think, I wonder who came up with that? And you know, they must have thought, oh, should we try one month? Oh, let's let's see if we can get away with two months. Just plant that seed. It's mad. <laughs> It's Everything. far too much money, really, isn't it? Far too much. It's crazy, isn't it? Well, we're
1: going to have to go to an early commercial break as we started a little bit later than we planned, but we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with uh, loads of uh, great tips and ideas uh, from Jeremy. So speak to you again in two minutes.
0: Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: Hi, it's Chris Cooper of uh, chriscooper.co.uk. I'm with Jeremy Nicholas. And Jeremy, you, you were chatting earlier or chatting earlier about some of the diverse things you've done. And mm. um, I, I mentioned that I really enjoyed your book, Mr Moonless Left the Stadium. And I wonder, what did you learn um, as a commentator at West Ham? Because I think you did that for about 15 years.
2: Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah, I, I was just started my 16th season. Um, uh, and I left in August 2013, four games into the season. Um, what did I learn there? Well... I learned that when you're the man on the microphone in a stadium and it holds thirty five and a half thousand, that you can't shout at the players. Uh, (laughs) No matter how badly they're playing, you're not allowed to do that. Um, And so I used I used to be a season ticket holder in the ground. And then my first game was in nineteen ninety eight and it was um, David Beckham was playing for Manchester United against West Ham, and he had been the reason England got knocked out of the World Cup because he uh, kicked an Argentinian player and got sent off, and the whole country blamed Beckham for this. Mm. Uh, obviously, Beckham went on to be an absolute genius and went on to captain his country, but in 1998, at the start of that season, he was you know, the most hated man in England, mm. and every ground he was booed at, and when the fixtures came out, my debut as the announcer was West Ham against Manchester United, and that meant that I had to stand in the middle of the pitch with a microphone and say number seven David Beckham and I knew that everyone would boo and this would be incredibly scary it was scary enough actually standing on the pitch with a microphone because you know most of my experience had been on tv and radio you can't really see the audience so uh, but this time I had the whole packed stadium because it always sells out if you play Manchester United and the only thing that got me through it was knowing that if I was still a fan the season before I would be booing me and I knew that my dad would be booing me. <laughs> 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 so that was the only thing that got me through it. But it was it was a great job. I loved doing it. Probably the funniest thing that ever happened was um, one time I was uh, just before the game, the players were warming up and a player from the opposition uh, came running up. Uh, and he said, oh, uh, the, um, the player for Watford, his name is pronounced Micah Hyde. It's Micah, not Mika. It's Micah Hyde and uh, he had a, a Watford tracksuit on, so I thought he was somebody official, and I went, oh, okay, who are you? He said, I am Micah Hyde, <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and he ran off. And obviously, he, he was only a substitute at the time. He wasn't particularly well-known, and he obviously made it his job, every ground he went to, that he would go and find the announcer and tell him his name was Micah, not Mika. <laughs> so fair play to the fella.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know you're on a mission to make conferences more interesting. and in, in what mm. areas do you do you think that businesses really fall down... When it comes to being entertaining and engaging, I guess, you know, conferences is probably one of them.
2: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I am on a mission. I'm like James Bond. I'm I'm going around uh, sorting people out one at a time, not assassinating them, but just making them more entertaining, more engaging. And when I first started doing uh, conferences, business conferences, I was the MC usually because, you know, I was the guy off the telly. So they'd say, can you be the MC? and i would sit through all these boring boring speeches that were always an hour long and they'd always start with things like um i'm going to speak for about an hour and i'd always think why why would that be the first thing you say because instantly then people think oh god a whole hour um and and so one time this chap did did the i'm going to speak for about an hour and then he did about 30 minutes of recapping on what had already happened in the year so far and then there was a big announcement and instead of having it right at the start he buried it somewhere in the middle by which time most people were asleep or they were on their smartphones or they'd lost the will to live and um, at the end of it I went up to this man uh, it was probably about 10 years ago and I said would you like me to make your talk a bit more interesting (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> Which was quite a brave thing to do, really, because this was it was for a big firm that I I did about three events for a year, so it was a bit of a risk. And he was quite a high flyer in that firm, and fortunately, he said to me, "I would love it if you could help me." Yes, please. And he became my first client. Um, but then I so I then got into the swing of it. The next week, I was doing an equally big conference for a rival. Went up to someone, he was absolutely furious, and I and I haven't worked for that company again to this day. So I probably have about 50% strike rate. But where people go wrong is they don't structure it in the right order. They, they have too much flannel at the start about stuff that we don't need to know about. Um, and, and they get constrained by this business of speaking for an hour. I think, you know, if you've only got 20 minutes in, you do 20 minutes and sit down and say, that's all I've done. You know, that's all I've got. People, love, you know, can have a bit more networking. They can go and have an early coffee. No one no one minds if a speaker finishes early and that's why I think TED talks are brilliant. I don't know if you if you watch a lot of TED talks but I every time I go to the gym I watch three TED talks when I'm on the treadmill and they're 18 minutes long and that strikes me as a much more suitable length 18 minutes than an hour.
1: That's a brilliant idea that's watching TED talks at the gym. I'm not uh... Not
2: thought about that. Ah, oh, well, at my gym, you, they have the internet on the running machines. But uh, I, I know you don't live in London, so probably out in the shires. <laughs> but, but what I used to do before that, you can take take your iPad and just put it on put it on there, and it's brilliant. It's just like it's like gym university. You go to the gym and you're at university. Brilliant. Brilliant! I did go
1: to a gym in Chiswick actually a few weeks ago, and uh, um, the Hogarth had not been there for many, for many years, and mm. I was I was amazed by that technology. I thought it was brilliant. It made exercising so much more fun.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, it's because I hate exercising, but uh, I loved I love TED talks, and they, you know, just ask people recommendations, and, and then I uh, go say three times a week. So that's nine nine TED talks in a week. Brilliant,
1: brilliant. Do you think um, is there, is there in terms of you know being entertaining and engaging do you have a mm. view between for example you know re- being using uh, entertainment in uh, written word versus spoken um, and also other different situations you know you, you just gave that great example there where it, you know yeah. a message humorous mm. message worked once in one way but didn't work with the other person um, yeah so i mean
2: when when i say entertaining i don't don't misunderstand me there and think that it's all about having a laugh all the time because often a lot of business communication are not very funny you know you might be telling people that there's going to be redundancies or that things that they hoped were going to happen are not going to happen so you don't want to being having a laugh and a joke about it in that situation but it it's it's more about using stories um as a way of anchoring things in people's memory because um, you can connect with people on an emotional level much better than you can on a logical level in that the next day they will remember the story uh, and hopefully then the learning message or the fact or whatever message you're trying to communicate they will have learned better because there was a story involved and and with stories I mean there's so many different ways of, of structuring a story you know whether it's in a speech or in a in a business communication but where where people go wrong is that they all just do it in chronological order so this happened then this happened then this happened much better is to do it in you know sort of a flashback if you think of a movie movies don't necessarily go in chronological order they often start with the most exciting thing that grabs your attention and then there's a flashback to find out how the people got to that situation
1: Mm.
2: or uh, another another style I teach is is the news report style where, you know, if you think of a news report on the t- the 10 o'clock news on the television, uh, they'll say this is the big thing that's happened and they'll give you the headline straight into it. No messing. Then there's all the detail. And uh, the quotes and the facts that back it up. And then finally, they'll summarize it. Now, that strikes me as a much better way of communicating than the way uh, so many businesses do, where they'll start off by telling you, uh, well, we've been in business for 70 years. And here's a picture of our headquarters in Milton Keynes. And I don't care. I've never been to Milton Keynes. Why would I want to go? I don't care what your headquarters looks like. Um, I don't care how many employees you've got. All I I care about is what you're going to do for me, how I'm going to be better as a result of it and if you if you aim it from that point of view and do it more audience focused you know it, it's just so much better
1: uh, do, do you ever do you have a great example of maybe you a know, speech that you do or, or you've seen somebody do that um, started with something that's really grabbed your attention at the beginning
2: yeah so um d- typically uh, someone who's um, what we call a crucible speaker where they, there's some kind of life changing um thing has happened so you know a mountaineer or an explorer or uh, someone like that and they start uh, you know typically so there i was trapped on the mountainside something like that and you think oh that really really grabs you in or you know uh, steve jobs again you know when when he used to um, launch things like the iphone 5 he he would um, say this is what we used to be able to do this is what we're gonna be able to do Mm. And and then instantly it captures everyone's like right ah oh, that's great. He doesn't start by saying uh, Apple was founded in so and so and we did this and this and we've had that. It's straight in. This is what's going to happen, and instantly you know people are inspired by it. I mean I I think that all communication be, because my background's BBC. I joined the BBC in 1987 and I still freelance there um, on and off. Um, the the BBC was founded with the aims of to inform, to educate, and entertain. And I think that we forget the uh, the entertain bit when with, with business communications it's all about informing and educating and and then I think as a speaker also you should try and inspire and so if you're a, a chief exec addressing your troops uh, at the the annual sales conference you want to inspire them you know you don't you don't want to just inform and educate them you want to entertain them and inspire them
1: yeah yeah and, and, and I think with, with these things often People do feel they've got to give lots and lots and lots of detail. Actually, you know, if you look back and think about maybe some speeches that you've seen, um, you know, if you remember one, two, or three messages out of those, mm. they make a difference. That's maybe job done, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think detail is good um, in, in a speech, but not right at the start. Yeah. You know, if you if you just think of structuring it like um, a newspaper, the headlines are in a, a big, simple words in bold type the detail doesn't come till halfway down you know and if you don't get there you still get a sense of it just from the headline and the, and the few opening lines mm.
1: now you you, um, you say you mentioned stories uh, about stories being really important and mm. I wonder you also say that stories are better than jokes and I've seen a few jokes that have uh, have gone wrong um, and they don't always seem to work I mean what what do you want to talk around that and, and whether you'd ever use a joke versus a story?
2: Yes. I mean, the reason stories are better is that there's no pressure for people to laugh. What you don't want to do is put pressure on your audience. Mm. So, you know, if you come on and say, here's a good one, here's a funny joke I heard the other day, instantly people start folding their arms thinking, well, we'll, we will judge whether this is a joke that we're going to laugh at. But if you um, say a story, they're going to hear the story, they're going to enjoy the story or or not – Uh, And if it makes them laugh, well, that's a bonus. That's the icing on the cake. But there's no pressure for them to laugh. Um, I I did stand-up comedy uh, for a while. Uh, I wasn't especially good at it, but I I did okay. But um, what I found with that is that if they're not laughing, you're not doing your job properly. You know, If they're only smiling, it's not working. Whereas now I do a lot of after-dinner speaking, and it's okay if people just smile usually they laugh I have to say because I like to think I'm quite good at it but if they're just enjoying the story uh, it doesn't matter if they're not laughing all the time and quite a lot of my stories build up, build up you know it's interesting it's, it's, it's almost like in the old Irish uh, storytelling tradition of a long rambling story that builds up builds up, builds up and then the, you know, along the way there's quite a lot of releases that make people laugh but you know the actual story as a whole is what they're there for um, so I think in business, the, the, when uh, people are doing a, a, a business event and they think, oh, they're under pressure to be funny," they, you know I see people print jokes off the internet or get a joke book from the news agents and start putting those in. Well, that's never going to work because um, people will either not find it funny or chances are they'll have heard it before. Mm. I mean, lots of people have good memories jokes I, you know and there's most jokes people tell me i don't laugh i just go oh yeah and they go oh, why didn't you laugh well oh, i'd heard it before you know and and you but i will often laugh just at real life because people say unexpected things so it's much better to to be witty than it is to tell a joke and it, and it's much and it's very important i think in business communications that that you're witty and you're not a clown mm-hmm. because you know there's there's more than one sort of humor uh, so, for example, you don't want to use sarcasm in business communications, even though it might be funny to you and a few other people. You know, it makes you come across as not a very nice person uh, and you don't want to be a clown. You don't want to be using slapstick stuff because no matter how funny you're being, people will be laughing at you and not with you. And, you know, if if you're perceived as a clown, then when you go on to this is the real message of why we're here today, that well, I'm going to tell you about our new product. They just think, oh, it's that funny clown bloke, and you might as well come on with great big floppy shoes and a big red nose and a car that falls to bits. You know, for all the all they're going to take any notice of you. So you've got to keep your high status. I always think there's two sorts of comedians or people that are humorous. You know, there's the high status and the low status, and in business, you always want to be the high status with the humour.
1: Yeah, and you know, we've 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 called this sort of how to entertain and engage more. So you know, the, yeah. the entertaining bit is. Uh, is is important but the the engaging and it it may be that um you know as you say a story doesn't have to be humorous but it has to Mm -hmm. doesn't have to emotionally grab people um yeah
2: i think the whole thing about engaging is holding the audience's attention for the whole time that you are talking and i think that's where a lot of people go wrong They, they don't put enough thought on what will grab the audience's attention they just they it's almost like they've just It's just a dump of information. So this is how all the information is coming to them in their head. So they're just dumping it down saying, "Yeah, there you are, sort that out. Now, people are only going to be able to absorb that information and, and learn from you and find out w- what it is you're talking about if if they're listening the whole time. And there's so many distractions for people now. I mean, every, every audience that I speak to, they've got a laptop on their, on their lap or they've got an iPad or they've got the phone out. You know, and if after the first five minutes they think this, this is not really for me, it's not very interesting, but I've got to be here because it's the company day, that they'll start tweeting or emailing or doing Candy Crush Saga or whatever those games are that people play on their phones. So, and you've lost them. Uh, and it, it, it's easy enough really to engage them. Uh, what, what I would recommend is you've got to grab them with something interesting at the start. Uh, you've got to give them something to look forward to by teasing ahead. And again, this is my background in in television news. Uh, You know, you think on the TV news, they always say still to come on the program. We'll be finding out this and there'll be a big story, this a feature story, and then a quirky sort of and finally story. Um, So, you know, you've, you've got to do that. Something for them to look forward to and also something for them to perhaps be worried about or something for them to be a bit intrigued about. You know, don't don't give it all away at the start give them the headline and then give them a reason to carry on listening.
1: Uh, yeah, good really good um, really good thoughts then. Do you mm. have a, do you have a view on um I only got a couple of minutes before we go to commercial break but yeah. within the structure of the story how to, how to make it entertaining.
2: Right. Well, what what I do with um, with a talk is, I, I think of it as a series of telegraph poles. So you start with a, a big start and a big finish, and those are here to telegraph poles. And then, if you imagine the wire between those poles will sag in the middle, and that is the audience's attention span sagging like that. So you've got to think, right? I've got to put another pole in the middle. So there might be a killer fact that comes halfway through. And then then you've then got two saggy bits and you think, right, I'll have somewhere about a quarter of the way through and another poll I'll put three quarters of the way through. And, you know, the different sort of telegraph polls you can put in would perhaps be an interesting survey that's just come out. Maybe something that's um, topical, something that's in the news that you can relate it to. You know, perhaps a film that's just come out or something that's happened in politics or something local, perhaps something to do with the town that you're in, the city that you're in, uh, where... people will think oh that's good that this guy has really personalized it to us you know so if you just think of telegraph pole and then uh, one at either end sagging in the middle and then just think what polls can i put in that will make the whole thing more entertaining and more engaging brilliant brilliant uh, really really good
1: um analogy there and a framework to use so um, after the break um, I want to find out from Jeremy where, the, where he's used humor and where it's gone wrong so you want to stay on for that and also about how to use um, sort of humor and be engaging on the tv if you get that opportunity on the radio uh, maybe um, also how you can use your body language I'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes
0: Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you.
2: Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kirk Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific
0: Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace
1: and a better life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with the fabulous Jeremy Nicholas. And uh, Jeremy, I just want to ask you, um, you know, have you ever gone too far when using humour? And if you
2: have, what did you learn? Gone too far? Um, I remember doing an event for IBM in Dublin once, and I was interviewing um, Brian O'Driscoll, who was the captain of the Irish rugby team.
1: Oh,
2: yeah. Uh, He's retired now. Um, And... (laughs) <laughs> so we we were on stools, a bit like Westlife. It was <laughs> me and him and um, the the manager of the team. It uh, was called um, uh, O'Sullivan. Uh, anyway, so Brian. O'Dris- so I was doing this thing where I um I, I always do anagrams of people's names because I love crosswords. And so I said that an anagram of of uh, Brian O'Driscoll was ironic bollards. Uh, which it doesn't really mean anything ironic bollards it's not not rude is it uh, it's just an anagram of Brian O'Driscoll but uh, he um, he pretended to be really offended by it and uh and so the organizers got a little bit worried, but actually he wasn't offended by it at all. He was just having a laugh at my expense. But uh, but afterwards, the the organizer came over and said, "Oh yeah, you know, that was really good, but you know, perhaps you shouldn't have upset our big name guest." And then Brian came over and said, "I wasn't upset at all. I was just having a laugh with him." But for for probably a five minute spell, it looked like I was in a bit of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but also, if you are going to upset anyone, you do not want to upset Brian O'Driscoll, who's a very. Uh, you know, he's a well. He's a very warlike rugby player, I mean he's a very intelligent man. Uh, and if you ever come up against him on the the rugby field, he's uh, he's a fighter. Let me tell you that. So I was very relieved when he did eventually break out in a smile because I just thought, oh no, I, I've upset Brian, but no, he was all right.
1: Do, do you think are there different ways that you should, you should use humor depending upon your style and the style of the the guest? You know, there's a blame there.
2: Yeah, I think there's um, there's a danger of. Um, sometimes being a little bit too clever and then you know if the guest doesn't quite get it or you know they're not on the same wavelength they they then look a bit foolish so what I I always say to people is if if you're ever in any doubt if you're ever worried that you're losing the audience make yourself the butt of the joke Mm. because people are always very forgiving of that but if you then uh, look like you're having a, a laugh at somebody else's expense then often the audience don't like it and when i say the audience don't like it it might only be 10 percent of the audience that don't like it but they're the ones that are most likely to complain you know, on the feedback forms or in emails you know and, and you might not get rebooked
1: yeah and did you have to be i guess you have to be careful depending on the country you're speaking in or the maybe the the culture of the people that you're speaking to do, not to upset them do?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um humor varies enormously uh, across the world, so I, I always advise people to uh, not do anything that's going to upset the hosts um and not not uh, say anything that that wouldn't translate very well, you know. Um of, often uh, humor is very very specific to a country. You know, you might need um a, a very good knowledge of the language and you know i'm very conscious that a lot of people have english as their second language my my wife's south african so english is her second language um and i've spoken a lot in south africa over the years and and i'm always very very conscious to think of all the the local sensibilities
1: do mm. with um with tv for example mm. um, is there you know, isn't the kind of an appropriateness of, of that? Because I, I, with something like TV, you're going to a, a really big audience. Um, I guess radio is the same too. Mm. Do, do you have to be more careful?
2: Or- yes. So I, well, one thing that I don't do is swear in real life because I want to be natural on TV and radio and I don't want to have to have a little filter thinking about swearing. I don't want, you know. Um, and actually, I do swear when I watch football. But uh, that's in a complete different situation. That's, that's
1: because and, you're a West Ham fan.
2: Yeah, trust me. A lot, a lot of things are because I'm a West Ham fan. Um, <laughs> you know, you obviously you have to swear if you watch West Ham because often they need swearing out. But also, you know, you, that's where my sense of humour comes from. You know, if, if if you don't know anything about English football, West Ham have for many years been the sort of jokers in the in the pack. In that we haven't really won anything since the year I went to university, 1980. Uh, but we have been very entertaining along the way. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, on TV and radio and commentating or anything like that, I always think don't say anything that you wouldn't be happy about being on the front page of a national newspaper. That's that's the test. You know, um, often people, you know, in, in a TV or radio situation, they might be thinking, well, I'm only talking to that person opposite me. So, and and they're, you know, smiling at me and encouraging me to go a bit further than I want to, so it will probably be all right. But then think, who is the worst person... That might listen to this, and what is the worst opinion they would have of you as a result? And if if it passes all of those, then you're fine. But if it doesn't, then keep your mouth shut.
1: Yeah, it was that gentleman recently in the United States who made a comment of uh, about Birmingham being, I think he mm. said 100% Muslim or something? And um, uh, and uh, I, he he came onto the British TV, and I remember the the interviewer saying to him. Because he was apologising for what he'd said, he'd, he'd caught offence with social media and everything around the world, and I thought it was um, it was quite amusing and a challenging one to face when um, the commentator said, um, um, he, what, "What do you say when even the British Prime Minister has called you an idiot?" <laughs> 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 it just demonstrated how um, you know how things can you know fly around the world today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he was an expert on on Fox News, wasn't he? he was. And uh, he, yeah, he. I mean. For, for anyone listening in any part of the world Birmingham is a, is a lovely place and uh, yeah please don't be put off from visiting Birmingham um, okay. so yeah you've got, to, you've got to be very careful with anything though
1: one of the things I've, cause I've seen you do uh, mm. which is a is a skill in itself is emceeing you know big events and sometimes you do find yourself as the you know as the host of something I mean do you have any any recommendations or top tips on doing that well <laughs>
2: Yeah, so usually I get asked to MC an event um, if they want it to be uh, an entertaining day. Um, I can I can do the facilitating and I can do the serious stuff, but usually if, if they've asked me, it's because of a recommendation they've seen. People have said, oh, we, this guy will make it interesting and he'll bring up the energy between the speakers and he'll make it fun for everyone in the room, but without uh, disrespecting anyone. He's, he's a safe pair of hands. So my my tips would be, First of all, you've got to do uh, most of your work before the day. You've got to get a list of all the people that are speaking. You've got to ask them for their introductions, and you have to beat it out of them. You have to keep emailing them, keep ringing them, saying, give me your introduction. And if they send you... A copy of their book or if they send you a biography you have to go back to them and say this is not an introduction this is a biography i want your introduction and if they say "Oh, i don't know what that is you say right this is what i need i need three paragraphs about you i need to know who you are without saying your name so it might be an award-winning broadcaster then it needs to be what you're talking about uh, second line uh, the third line needs to be why you are the person to listen to on this subject and then the last line is please welcome and then say their name and the last bit should always be their name and that should be the first time you've heard their name so that people could then applaud and come on um so i i like that structure of introducing people um and i like to have a chat with them beforehand i like to um just set a few rules in place like if they're going to I will stand in the middle of the stage and introduce them. They will come on from one side. I will walk off the other side. I will not be shaking hands with them as they come on because I think the last thing you want when a speaker's about to speak is, you know, they've got their clicker in one hand. They might have a, a, an iPad or something. They don't want to be shaking hands with you. They're, you know, if it's a woman, you don't know if you're going to kiss them. Is it going to be one kiss or two kisses? Which side are you going to start? So I always say to them, look, please don't think I'm rude. I'm I'm going off the other way. You know, I'm giving you a big round of applause and i'm exiting the other way as if pursued by a bear in shakespeare um you know so so that it makes it you know they know they're going to get off to a flying start and it drives me mad when people people's uh, business events don't have their own introductions everyone should that you know people listening to this show that should be your homework tonight to write those three paragraphs who you are without saying your name what you're talking about why you're the person to listen to and then your name and you should have that written up in nice big writing because lots of MCs like me wear glasses uh, and it's ones that don't wear glasses that should that you've got to worry about so nice big font and laminate it on a sheet of a4 and hand it to them that's your homework tonight see i told you my mum was a teacher <laughs> yeah no that makes a huge amount of sense you go we think uh, as a bent
1: i i was once at and the the mc um, seem to be perf- um, perspiring profusely and, and he was making everybody who came on you know uh, shake his hand or give him a hug and mm. <laughs> what a way to have to stand up and start your speech um being a you know wet from the host no you you don't want that
2: and another another good thing that really works as an MC uh if if you if you know you if you are asked to be the MC and you're not a professional MC you're someone that, you know who's senior in the firm and you and you've just been landed with this role of being the MC. Um, what works really well is to get some kind of a running theme going across the day. Um, so for me, you know, as an example. I, I do this thing, like I said, with uh, anagrams. And, you know, you just get the person's name. And then at the, after, after they've uh, done their talk, you know, you say Brian O'Driscoll or as I call him, ironic bollards. And it gets a little bit of a joke. Now, I always do it after the person's spoken, not before. I don't want to damage their credibility before they've spoken. I want them to speak and perhaps damage their own credibility during their speech. Well, and then at the end of it, I'll come on and do the anagram. Now, I have done this uh, IBM events, probably nine IBM events in a row. I've done my anagram thing across about five years. Uh, and still people come up to me and say, oh, we, we keep seeing you sitting in the wings and you're trying to work out an anagram. And we always think, oh, will he will he do a good one? Will he Will he be able to find one? It's quite a hard name. And, of course, you know, probably about a week before I've worked out all these anagrams on the Internet on a little thing called an anagram engine, which is just a <laughs> computer program that works out anagrams. Now, how people at IBM haven't figured out that I'm using a computer to work out these anagrams, I don't know. <laughs> but there we are. Now, I've now told them. You, you have, yes, <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> hope they're not too shocked.
2: Yeah, little running running themes like that just make the day flow seamlessly because even if you know there's a desperate speaker on and it's so so dull you think oh at least the guy's going to come back with the funny anagram or whatever the running theme is of the day.
1: Uh, right. I've, I've seen you with uh, a running theme where where you know something humorous has happened at the beginning mm. of the day and you've been able to kind of repeat that because it's got a laugh at mm. like someone's expense that can work quite well can't it?
2: Well that's the that's the best thing and that's why I say don't do jokes do funny stories and then don't do your usual funny stories. If something new has happened during the day, reference that. You know, if if in the morning session something amazing happened, then in the afternoon reference it. Um, even if it's not a particularly funny comment, people will appreciate it in the audience because they'll think, well, that wasn't particularly amusing, but he must just have thought of that because we didn't know that was going to happen.
1: Excellent. Well, did you have any uh,
2: sort of final messages that you'd like to leave us with? We've just got a couple of minutes. Uh, well come to my talking toolbox Masterclass, which is where I teach people how to be more entertaining and engaging and and really there's four elements in that first of all structure then delivery then humour and then top tips and I think yeah if, if I was leaving you with one message when people come to me Uh, you know often uh, people fairly high up in firms and they say can you help me be a better speaker they'll say I've got my speech and they'll show me their speech and they'll say I just need your help in delivering it and I look at the speech and it's rubbish (laughs) and I say well I can help you deliver that or we can throw that away start again get a good structure and then I'll show you how to deliver that really well yeah Uh, and I think that's where people go wrong they they worry so much about the delivery and actually what they should worry about is the structure because even if you deliver it badly, as long as there's a good structure, it will. You know, it people won't mind too much. They would rather have great content, great structure, badly delivered than beautifully delivered, and there's just nothing to it.
1: Wonderful, J- Jeremy. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, really inspirational today. Um, you know, hopefully, people will take lots of messages from it about um, entertaining and telling stories. Don't use jokes. Uh, that the Telegraph poll. Um, approach I really loved, and uh, I think that point that you make there about um, structure is really important. So thank you very much.
2: Pleasure. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Chris. People always like the telegraph poles. I don't know why.
1: It's a, yeah, it's a good one. I've uh, drawn pe- telegraph poles on my piece of paper. So marvelous. So uh, once once again, thank you very much, Jeremy. A pleasure talking with you. And next week we've got uh, Lenora Billings Harris on the show. She's going to be talking about how to um, turn diversity into an advantage. She's an absolute expert at this uh, this subject and will give us lots of ideas, I think, about working with people from different cultures in our teams to uh, to gain a competitive advantage. So we'll be back with you again in just another week. And if you've got any questions, um, you can send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. And do sign up for the newsletter there because I share information on, on, on guests and shows coming up and my take on them and that sort of thing. So we'll be back with you again next week. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week.